Great day, great day. Savon Springer, founder, managing partner of Native Assets, author of the Blockchain Blueprint. Today, whoo, today I'm excited because, you know, if, if, if you've noticed in some of the more recent videos we've been doing here, we've been, been speaking more and more about the, the futureverse, uh, the fluff world ecosystem. And if you've done any of your own diligence, which I hope you have, and looked into it, it, you may have found yourself, you know, that meme of of uh, of the character from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with all the the uh, the strings on the wall and you know looking looking manic, because there's so much going on in this ecosystem and it can be overwhelming. It can be a lot to take in. But I am firmly of the belief of the conviction, and my money is where my mouth is with this, that what we are witnessing is the most important ecosystem in all of Web three potentially being built out in front of us from an infrastructure standpoint, from an IP standpoint, and it does not get nearly the amount of attention that, in my opinion, it warrants uh, based on everything that have already shipped and what seems to be in the pipeline. So I am honored. I am excited. I'm grateful to have, in my opinion, one of the world's leading experts in the Futureverse, the Fluff World ecosystem to speak with us today to walk us through this, Mr. Jerry Buckley from the Futureverse pod. Welcome to the show, man. How are you? Yeah, going great. Thanks for having me on. It's a, a real pleasure, especially after that intro. So cheers. Yeah, yeah, no, no. hundred percent, hundred percent, man. I, I can't remember exactly when it was. It was a few months ago that I came across your channel because a buddy of mine, DeMarco, he first introduced this ecosystem to me last year because he was super big in NFTs. I wasn't really into them. My whole thing was crypto since 2017, but he'd been paying more attention to the NFT world. And excuse me, one day he sent me Alter State Machine and was like, yo, I'm not going to lie. Some of this is over my head, but like, you know, you a genius, bro. So I feel like you'd really get it. And so I jumped in the discord and, you know, still early days and I didn't fully get it. But I was like, OK, AI, you can own the AI. But, you know, thingies weren't out. Brains weren't really announced. So. Uh, that was my first introduction to the ecosystem. He got a party bear. I told you this the other day. I was on the allow list to mint one of the Gen 1 brains, and I missed it because I was trying to walk my dad through some self-custody stuff on Coinbase. But I was getting back into the ecosystem because most of this year I have been focused on NFTs. And I was just trying to look something up, and I came across your channel, and I was like, Jesus, man, this is a treasure trove for anybody who is trying to get caught up on this, uh, what's going on in this ecosystem, because it's so much. So I appreciate you making the time today so we can try to have this be just another reference point for people who are trying to wrap their heads around the ecosystem. Oh, thanks very much. Um, my experience was actually pretty similar to yours. Um, sort of, I came from more of a DeFi background and mm. sort of first got into crypto in late 2019 um, and was preoccupied mostly with the tokens and uh, all the DeFi stuff that was happening through DeFi summer. It was so exciting. All that sort of happened. And then then NFTs blew up. And I was around some NFT projects early on, uh, particularly N uh, NBA Top Shots. That was one I was in early. Um, and then I sort of never really followed through with too much stuff. I just made a few bets and sort of just left it and um, didn't exit at all. So rode this wave all the way up, all the way down. And then there was that sort of second wave about a year ago in the NFT space, and I just couldn't ignore it anymore. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try and work out what all this is. You know, it seemed like a lot of it was speculation and just so full of hype and everything was minting out in seconds. And I didn't do very good. <laughs> I'm no good at flipping NFTs. So yeah, I went back to DeFi. I got heavily in involved with the Luna ecosystem, mm. which was quite unfortunate um, <laughs> because most of my net worth ended up going down the gurgler on that one. Um mm. But sort of scratching around trying to find some sort of meaning in crypto after that that event because you know, that, that sort of shook me to my core a bit. I found yeah. uh, basically, you know, non-fungible labs and what's now being sort of rebranded as the Futureverse ecosystem. And I was gobsmacked when I sort of peeled a few layers back and realised what was underneath the surface. Um, I had a few friends who were like, oh, you should check out Fluffs. They're building the metaverse. And I'm like, yeah, every Everybody NFT says project's... That. You know, got a roadmap and they're building the metaverse and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, it's probably not going to go anywhere. And it took me several months to actually look into it. But once I realized that this stuff had been getting built since sort of 2017 and some stuff even before then under, under sort of the centrality umbrella mm -hmm. and it was, and it was real technology, it was real infrastructure play. That's when I was like, holy shit, <laughs> there's some, a lot more to this than meets the eye. And um, basically I just started my channel because 
it became all consuming just trying to understand it all. And we were in a real lull in the cycle. And there just wasn't much out there that was doing the ecosystem justice, I thought. So I thought, why not? I'm going to go all in on this, on this one, one particular thing, which happens to be a very broad ecosystem, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. And just to try and educate people because most people don't get past the, the JP part of it, the PFPs. And that's, that's kind of like the icing on the cake. So yeah, I've been fascinated and I can barely keep up with it. And I'm doing this full time now. So yeah, there's just so much to cover. Yeah, no, I think you do a phenomenal job staying on top of it. I mean, there'll be a Twitter space and within 12 to 18 hours, you'll have the recap up on there. And um, yeah, I think you're doing a real service for the community because not everybody is in the position, right, to really pour that time in. But to your point, we're in this dip in the cycle. And as we both know, these are the times where if you pay attention, you have better entry prices. You can get that advantage of information. And it's not so crowded where people are kind of just, like you said, the speculation is just pushing everything. So it's a moment to really assess where things have settled and all right, what is the market value of this stuff at right now? But all the while, the fundamentals now are stronger than they were back when the the, the floors were at their all-time highs. And um, yeah, I, I just, another reason I do native assets is I just feel that you know, people like us who have the fortune to be able to be in this space full time, it's a bit of our duty to say, hey, we'll hit you with the footnotes. We've done the due diligence. I'll show you how I did the diligence and you can go check the receipts on it. And then you make the decision you want to make so that more people have the opportunity to potentially get into something that could change their life in a very significant uh, and powerful, uh, productive way. So uh, you spoke to some of this in, in, in that little overview and intro that you gave. But what I thought we would make the most sense to try to orient people is if we start macro and then we kind of go and niche down to the individual projects sure. and collections. And so um, the way that the future versus set up, right, is that uh, it all really began with a company called Centrality. And Centrality was started by I always get them confused. Was it Aaron or was it David? Yeah, Aaron, I believe. Aaron McDonald. Okay, okay. so the, <laughs> isn't it more than three? Because I just heard, or is it just they work with some other people whose last name is McDonald as well? Because I saw the other day, there was, anyhow, let's assume it's three of them for now. Uh, it's Aaron McDonald. Uh, da- uh, that Jeff and David. Jeff and David McDonald, right? Yep. But Aaron McDonald was the CEO and founder of Centrality. And Centrality, the best way to describe it, as I understand it, was effectively, it was a conglomerate. And so if, if I recall, he were, he raised between 400, 500 million dollars. And then he went out and he began to acquire a bunch of independent tech companies. And so at the time, uh, and just for context, he started literally as like a, 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 a wire technician or something to that effect uh, back in the day. And then he kind of worked his way up through that company and then got into tech more broadly uh, before he started Centrality. But he had this thesis about where the internet was going, where digital was going, and this idea of the metaverse before that was a term everybody was throwing around because the term has been around for decades and decades from Snow Crash and all of that. Um, But he said, hey, the metaverse is going to require several different pieces to actually work. It's not just going to be like you flip this switch and it works all of a sudden. There's going to be communications involved. There's going to be finance involved. There's going to be entertainment, stories, all these different things involved in it. And so what Centrality was starting to do was find these smaller companies and then started to buy them out because he saw them as having important technology that could play a role in this. Now, that's not to say that every single company was a part of Centrality is now a part of Non-Fungible Labs and Futureverse, but a lot of them turned into that. And so we fast forward a few years, everything starts popping off with NFTs. And mind you, in the background, as you mentioned, he had been building out the team, right? So he kind of got them all together. Think of him as a coordinator, not the guy building it all, but one division. They're working on infrastructure this whole time. But then when the NFTs come around, there's a slight bulb moment of saying, hey, instead of trying to just put the technology in front of people and the likelihood of people just ignoring it or not caring about it, how can we communicate these individual pieces as part of a connected world, a connected story, and then present it almost with the Trojan horse of entertainment, right? Or something visually interesting as opposed to just saying, hey, here's a white paper. Here's this cool thing we're doing on the back end that no one's really going to care about. And so that started with Fluff World. And that was the first collection that they put out. I'll pause and then 
you, you can jump in there to, to, to help yeah, keep us yeah, on that's track. A, that's a pretty good high-level summary. Uh, the, probably the only thing I'd sort of add to that is if there was a gap in the market, which, so there wasn't an existing company that he could sort of help um, sort of buy out or, or sort of acquire, he would basically incubate it himself and say, okay, we need this this sort of column as part of our infrastructure, and he'd, he'd sort of incubate, find a founder, find a team, fund them, and uh, work with them that way. So some of these entities are basically organic from within the centrality ecosystem from day one, and others were brought in sort of partway along the journey. Like I think Silo, for instance, has been building for nine years now, mm. for instance. So, you know, some of this tech goes way back, and then other stuff is more recent, but it's all quite well established, and it's all like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. It all snaps in and complements other pieces, but in, at, the, at the sort of in the back end, the user's not going to even know it's there. It just makes stuff work kind of in a Web 2-like fashion where it's just seamless and things are as easy as logging into a webmail and you've got a, you know, you've got a crypto account and you've got um, access to self-sovereignty if you need it, all that sort of stuff. So you're, you're right, the NFTs are like the Trojan horse to the, add that content layer that people can relate to and um, you'll see some big IP announcements rolling out in the next few months that should uh, sort of um, raise a few eyebrows, <laughs> I'd say. Um, there's been lots of hints. Yeah. As to who it is and, and who they are, but nothing's confirmed yet. But yeah, it's that's that's the way they're trying to get people onboarded, is in a sort of seamless and easy to use fashion, but through these NFTs and well, digital collectibles, as uh, we're all sort of pivoting towards calling them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and just so um, for for context, as it stands right now, if you look at the different companies that are officially a part of the Futureverse umbrella, which they set up as this not-for-profit foundation that just happens to kind of oversee and coordinate and integrate with these different companies. It's like 400-plus people, I think pushing near 500 at this point. Um, and they're, almost all of them are based out of New Zealand, uh, and uh, which I also think is interesting because just metaphorically, New Zealand is like ahead of you know, time zone wise, most of the world. So it's kind of like being ahead of the curve. And it's like what, you know, universes, you know, has funny ways of winking at us. Um, But you have that component. And then um, when you actually look at the users across the different collections, and we'll break down these collections and kind of what they uh, attach to. But if you look across all their collections, they have one of, if not the highest unique holder count of any NFT collection. And what I want to underscore here is that when somebody looks at a collection like Board Ape Yacht Club, when they first came out, that was the only collection. So if there was 10,000 PFPs and it was a 50% unique holder ratio, that means that there's 5,000 individual unique wallets or holders that hold that asset. But then, and same idea for how the liquidity is concentrated into that project. So the market cap of Board Ape Yacht Club. The moment that they had a companion collection, they began to dilute that original collection because a lot of the original holders will then begin to maybe sell some off so they can buy into the next collection. And that is always, there's going to be a dilutive process every time a new collection is launched. And so the real way to assess the market cap, the unique holder count of any project is to add up any other projects that may have come in the form of airdrops or secondary launches, whatever it might be from that collection. And so when we look at Fluff World, you have Fluff World, which is the inaugural collection with the the, the bunnies, right? You have Party Bears. You have Altered State Machine, which has two collections within itself. You have AFA All-Stars. Well, I guess three if you count that. Uh, You have Buzzies, which was an airdrop for Party Bears. You have the Ray Guns. You have Adam Car Club. You have, uh, fuck, what else? You have the Eggs. You have- The Thingies as well. Thingies is a big one. Um, Yep. It's, it's, it's just, it's so many and, 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 uh, and I'll back up for a second, but I just think that's really important for people to understand because if you just go look at Fluff World, you just go look at Party Bears, which are the two biggest collections out of the whole thing. And then ASM, you might miss the fact that you have to add them all up. You got the next legends, all of that. So, yeah. um, let's back up for a second and talk about from an infrastructure standpoint, why what they're doing is so important relative to anything else we've seen. And you, you said it already, but we're just going to go back to it. The whole aim is to make the process of onboarding for the average user, the person who does not give a fuck about crypto, seamless, where they don't know that it's crypto working in the background. And so, like you said, they can come in, sign up with an email, and then boom, before they know it, they're actually 
into this ecosystem and they probably now own an NFT or have an NFT so they can interact with this world and use some of the utilities. And I think the one of the most high profile partnerships that's been announced to date really demonstrated that in the AFA FIFA AI League tournament. So can you talk to us a little bit about what that was and, and why that was such sure. an important moment? Yeah, it's still still ongoing. So it's based around the FIFA World Cup, at least in the initial stages. And it's a very basic predictions game at this point. So basically, you just log in and you pick who you think is going to win each game. And there's a couple of other in-game events you, you try and tip. So like when the first goal is scored and a random event, like someone might score a penalty, that sort of thing. And so it's pretty basic, but it's trying to be a bit of a Trojan horse, that foot in the door to try and onboard normal people who are passionate about the world game, football, the FIFA World Cup, and it gives them a Futureverse account, which is an account on their their new Layer 1 blockchain, which is not fully public yet, but they wouldn't even know the difference. And their reward for participating is a set of digital collectibles, which will be used in an altered state machine, an AI football game, 4v4 street football game. Now, that hasn't launched yet, but that should be launching shortly after the World Cup, and the hope is that people will then sort of take that next step from just being in the predictions game to using these digital collectible NFT assets that they have and interacting with the altered state machine protocol and also upskilling them about, you know, blockchain technology, self-sovereignty if they need it later on, and also um, artificial intelligence because um, they're trying to train people and inform people along the way. It's not just about the seamless user experience. It will be for a lot of people, but for anyone that wants to take the next step later on, there'll be sort of gamification sort of learning within it all to help upgrade them to being, you know, more self-sovereign and being actually, you know, taking part in a decentralized world. So that's kind of the goal. And all of the infrastructure that's being built and has been built over the last five plus years is with that end end goal in mind, basically. That's one of the most important things to me, because someone could do this whole thing and then send all the data to some black box. And then it's like, you know, cool. Maybe it's a fun experience. Maybe it's some cool characters. But ultimately, we're still trending in that direction of Big Brother. So what I really appreciate is that they have taken a a kind of slider scale approach to someone's understanding of these things. And it's been mentioned many times. Well, for instance, self-custody of those assets, where if people, let's just say they come through the funnel of this one partnership. So let alone what else might come down the road, but the FIFA AI prediction game. And now they want to go and play AFA, uh, the actual AI soccer game. And... To begin with, they may have those assets in a custodial wallet that is somehow, you know, maintained uh, on the root network on their behalf. But once they begin to demonstrate that they have the aptitude and they understand how self-custody works, private keys, all of that, they will have the option to move it to their own wallet. And so similarly, how we see certain websites when they do drops or make collections, they give you the option. You can do this in Ethereum or you can do this with a credit card. You know, we can hold it for you or you can take it in. It does that, but it still is taking that other step to saying, hey, we will teach you. We will gamify. And that term gets thrown around a lot. But when you literally are making it a game, that's like a whole nother level. And that's what really is also impressive to me is how every angle of what it actually means to, to one, just be a citizen in, in, in a nation, right? But then in a digital sense, how to do that, but make every component of it gamified in some way, shape, or form. So um, you, you talked about the the L1 that they're building, the root network. And I think that mentioning that is, is, is a good segue to us to start to talk about the actual different tranches or verticals that they're covering. So if you could... Walk us through what the root network is, and then we'll begin to go through the individual uh, layers of this, like silo, like what we have with ASM, so on and so forth. Yeah, so one of the um, protocols or products that was under centrality is a uh, a layer two and a layer one Ethereum-based blockchain called SensNet. And it looked like that was going to be the destination for all of this when it was all spun up. Um, But they've pivoted recently. So... They went to the South by Southwest conference in March this year and they had this thing called the uh, the Metaverse Manifesto, which was basically an open sort of letter for anyone who wanted to pledge their allegiance to it to create an open, a truly open metaverse. And they had they had a really stellar response from that. And I think that that basically changed the the end game somewhat. And 
rather than moving all these assets over to SensNet, which is just like another Ethereum layer two that they had been building on, does have some proprietary tech in it. They decided to start with a blank canvas. Let's get the best purpose-built blockchain uh, to, to provide a seamless user experience to get rid of some of those pain points. So all the work they'd done with SendNet, SendNet was not lost because this, this blockchain, it runs on Substrate, which is what Polkadot runs on, uh, but it's also Ethereum virtual machine EVM compatible. So any anything that's built on Ethereum or an Ethereum-friendly um, network currently can port their code across to the root network, and that's what's happening with all the, the fancy stuff that they've been building with the SendNet. So it's a, a brand-new purpose-built layer one blockchain and the real magic, I think, of it is that it's going to be a bit of a fair launch. Um, we haven't had much of that in crypto since since Bitcoin, really. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you could argue maybe to a lesser extent Ethereum. And of course, there are some you know vested interests involved with this. That's cost a lot of money to make this happen. So there are going to be some insiders, uh, but they will have some equity, you know, in in some of the the root tokens, and they'll vest over a long period of time. But there's no token sale. The only way to get in on this this network from day one and, and and to actually own it and have a stake in it is through those futureverse NFTs and digital collectible assets, and that's just like a whole new paradigm. It's a whole new take on on blockchain, um, especially for a, a, a normal user. So there's a whole bunch of fancy sort of tech in the blockchain stack that is probably just going to bore people. But basically, yeah. if you just think if you just think that it just makes everything easier, more seamless. And just a lot of sort of common sense stuff that has not happened in the past with crypto, like their vault, that, that can help you with custody as you sort of got your training wheels on. Because to be honest, self-sovereignty and, and having your custody of your own assets scares the shit out of most people. Mm -hmm. they, they want a bank. They want something they can trust. And that's been shattered with what's happened with FTX recently um, and some of these other centralized entities that have gone under. So unfortunately, a lot of people have learned the hard way about you know, the dangers of, of middlemen. And this, this whole blockchain is designed to help people take that next step into self-sovereignty. And so I just think it's it's game-changing. And some of the tokenomic design is really clever as well, but probably won't go too deep down that rabbit hole. But uh, yeah, it's just, I guess they've, they've built this with the end game in mind. And they've had, you know, close to 10 years of lessons from blockchain technology to sort of start over and go, what makes the most sense, in, you know, in 2022? As we move forward with digital collectibles, um, you know, new DeFi primitives, all that good stuff. Yeah, that's that's a great summary. And um, I'll go into just a touch of some of the boring stuff because I know some of the folks listening sure. will be more the power users. But the, the, one of the things that's most two things that I think are most important about how they're setting it up. One of them is uh, related to the actual functionality of the network, and that's their partnership with Ripple. Now, yep. what I thought was really fascinating there was. The, the hyper liquidity function that, that Ripple is really excellent at, that they've demonstrated they're great at, um, they're actually going to have a functionality where you can pay fees in any token, but it will all be settled in XRP and that's how it'll actually get paid. And so that also simplifies it where people don't then have to go and say, all right, well, I have this token, but now I need to go and swap it out so that I can pay the fees on the network. And it, it reminds me a bit of like cow swap where you can use that uh, DeFi application where no matter what it is you're buying, it just pays the fee in whatever token you're going to receive. So it simplifies it a bit. Um, and I think that some people still don't understand Ripple's place in this whole you know world of blockchain. And some people may have been worried about their lawsuit, but you know I'm not too worried about it. And it seems like that things are going to go their way. Now, the other aspect that you were talking about with the token design that I think is genius so that they don't leave people out who are in more restrictive uh, jurisdictions like the U.S. is that it's not even that, from my understanding, that you just get root token for holding these assets. You basically have to go on a quest, do something to actually claim those tokens. And so I think that in two ways, one, that's genius because it's not something where you just passively got it. Uh, but then the other part about that so once again, it's doubling down on the education. Do you know how to drive this car before I give you the keys sort of thing? But it also makes it so that anybody who is not actually participating in the ecosystem, they don't really get to be involved from a uh, governance standpoint or a token standpoint because they're not taking that extra step to actually be active and not just someone who bought a bunch of assets is sitting on them and just waiting for a payday so they can dump them after the fact. You actually have to do proof of work 
to get these tokens in a way that's much different than the proof of work that we see from Bitcoin. So I just thought that that was like a, a genius touch, but it only works if you set up your ecosystem around a bunch of NFTs that are, you know, uh, disguising what's actually happening with the infrastructure. Yeah, I think one thing that is probably not uh, fully sort of appreciated yet is the fact that the uh, the tokens that you're sort of going to be getting, the root token, they're, they're used to help secure the network and they're, they're not, um, you know, it's a fixed supply. So the more traction that the root network gets, the more value those tokens will, will have. And you're basically, you're going to be earning some of the transaction fees. You're going to be earning a percentage of any token that gets spun up on that network. That goes back to the validators as, as a percentage. Royalties are baked into the cake for any creators. That's at the, the blockchain level, the protocol level. So you don't have any of these issues that you're seeing with the creator economy now. There are all these other, you know, basically just recreating Web 2 <laughs> with some of the stuff that's going on at the moment. And, you know, the, the metaverse, if this thing's ever going to happen, is going to be based off community input. It's going to be get based off the creator economy over the next 20, 30 years. Um, and all that's baked into the cake. So the, the yield you're going to be getting is going to be true yield based off the value of the network, assuming that it does start to take on network effects over time. So that could be quite game-changing as well. And you're right, like, for a lot of this, you will have to actually be an active participant to earn it. There will be some passive yield stuff going on, but not nearly as much. And I think that helps with some of the security laws issues as well. Yeah. And when talking about how, all right, if the root network takes off and does well, that's going to drive value accrual to the token in theory, right? And based on kind of what's laid out in, in the, the Futureverse paper, white paper, um, that, that brings in, it makes it very relevant, the partnerships that are at play. And so we've already seen it be announced that there's a, a literal partnership with FIFA, right? And FIFA is enormous. Soccer is the football, is the biggest sport on earth, I think, next to Formula One. Uh, a lot of people in the, in the U.S. don't realize these things, but, you know, the world's a big place. And we've seen some hints, some possibilities that some potential partners might include Disney, might include the Doodles Collection. Um, who knows what else, right? And there's already so much going on. So uh, now it seems to make a good uh, sense to, to transition to talk about these different uh, verticals that this ecosystem is is building uh, at, at a protocol level solutions for. So uh, I'll list these out and then you can guide us in, in the, the path you think makes the most sense to walk through it. So inside of the Futureverse, you have a dedicated decentralized communications protocol called Silo. And Silo is um, basically connected to the collection of seekers. And so TLDR there, the seeker NFT is actually a, a visualized version of a node on that particular network. So you have Silo. And then you have Alter State Machine, and this is effectively non-fungible intelligence. So the idea here, and everybody's going crazy over GPT, chat, and Dolly and all of that, well, you don't own any of those, right? You're literally just helping feed data into a big machine learning algorithm that then gets better and better, but that doesn't drive any value directly back to you. But with Alter State Machine, you actually get to own the individual algorithm that is that artificial intelligence. You get to train it. You get to trade it. And depending on which one, if you get a Gen 1, you can actually splice it, breed it, and then potentially sell that down to somebody else. And so that is connected with the, the, the Gen 1 brains. And they have Gen 2 brains as well. And from our understanding, every character, primary asset or character within the Futureverse, so Fluffs, Party Bears, the AFA characters, they all can be driven through this brain. So then, uh, aside from that, you actually have a dedicated uh, DeFi blockchain as well called the Auto Blockchain. And we haven't seen an NFT connected to it yet, but we probably will. Or there's one that already exists, and then they'll just tell us about it later. Um, and then from there, you also have some identity protocols. And then with the entertainment kind of verticals, you have Fluff, you have Party Bear, and then you have the assets associated with that. So I'll let you drive us to, uh, to explaining that in whatever way makes the most sense to you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, obviously. Um, yeah, so I might yeah. start with the auto You can focus on what you think is the most important because... Yeah, I think, I think it, it all has a key, key sort of uh, piece to play. But I think the one thing at the moment that's probably the least understood is the auto blockchain because DeFi, to most people, is not the most sexy topic. Um, but uh, I think, like I said earlier, with all the issues that we've had this year, with um, a lot of things going under, I was really 
basically just uh, Wall Street all over again. We've had our sort of Lehman Brothers moment, if you like, where people were doing sort of silly things with other people's money. And when the, when the price goes down, you get these cascading liquidation events. And at the end of the day, people lose a lot of money. So they're trying to fix some of those issues. And the whole idea behind the auto blockchain, kind of think of it as like a, a regulatory approved and a safe DeFi zone that sort of meets all the, the, the sort of tick boxes that governments around the world expect uh, and provides safety to the users. So every, every uh, asset that gets put onto that network, uh, every entity that's on there and every transaction is essentially regulatory approved um, beforehand. And there's even any, you can't even spin something up on the network without it being approved first. So it's, you know, it's, it's gated deliberately to keep it as safe as possible. But that is going to provide a safe DeFi backbone that all of these, uh, you know, GameFi protocols and everything else that spins up in the root network can use. And it doesn't, it doesn't actually give away your privacy information. It's just more or less, you know, are you a certain age to interact with this zone? Um, that sort of thing. And, you know, are you, you know, a re- regulatory approved KYC, AML approved customer? So people have that surety that it's, you know, there's no uh, fraudulent activity going on. And every asset is held in the native asset, you know, fully regulated and insured one-to-one backed uh, custodial service. So if you've got Bitcoin, the actual Bitcoin goes into that custodial service. You've got ETH that goes into there. And that's, that's sort of how it's safeguarded and protected. So you can't have any rehypothecation going on. I'm guessing it's going to be a relatively low leverage environment, which is probably better as well. Do we really need a 50% yield in crypto? I don't think so. It's already volatile enough. So that's probably one key piece. And the way that they set it all up around the identity services is it sort of depends how much you want to opt in as to the level of access that you have. So if you just want to sort of freewheel on the root network with NFTs, in a more open environment, similar to say Ethereum, that'll be there. If you want to do sort of more regulatory approved things like in DeFi um, and buy an asset that you know is not going to get you into trouble, you can link your identity to your auto account and still do that activity even on the root network. So there's lots of powers in, in that as well. And part of the stack as well is immersive, which is provides a lot of the payment rails. So people can come in with fiat, with a credit card or a debit card, and it hasn't really been picked up in the sort of broader consciousness net, consciousness net, consciousness yet. Sorry, um, but they've got to deal with uh, Mastercard. So there's a Metaverse Mastercard that's coming out, and you can be, you can link your DeFi yields that you generate on Auto, and then spend it on a cup of coffee. Um, you know, in basically any fiat currency, the merchant's happy because they're getting paid fiat. And it just gets swapped in the back end from USDC to the local fiat currency. So that's pretty impressive as well. Um, so th- there's that whole side of it that's kind of underneath the surface that a lot of people probably don't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of the attention goes towards the, the NFTs and the big sort of IP brands that are coming and that have already been announced. Uh, but that I think is, is pretty key as well. It's probably going to take a few years to mature before people really appreciate it, but it's, um, Super impressive. And then when you also add what Silo is doing with the wallet infrastructure and their, their sort of chat app, that's mm-hmm. going to bridge together a bunch of Web3 games and communities with a common sort of chat experience. Um, and that's pretty impressive as well. And that's its own decentralized network also. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think what the other points were. Was there anything else in that lot you wanted me to touch on? I mean, I think those are the fundamental pieces. We, we have money. We have identity. We have communications. One thing about the uh, on the identity piece, uh, and also is the identity piece handled that that's handled through auto as well. Yeah, there's a few different sort of things underneath it. That okay. so there's a Centra Pass and Centra Pay. That's what I was. It's not clear about. to me exactly to which bit interacts with what. Gotcha. Um, but essentially, they they all sort of leverage off of each other. Um, but yeah. yeah, essentially, the auto blockchain the auto blockchain provides that environment. And then those other verticals sort of feed into it. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually learned this from listening to uh, Aaron's interview with Carly, Carly Riley on her show, Overpriced JPEGs. But already they have a partnership with the New Zealand government as far as identity standards. So literally the same standards that somebody would use for their digital identity in New Zealand. They, they, they have that same level of 
of clearance and, and regulatory checkoff for this component of the futureverse already. And so yeah, these are the sort of things that, like you said, you know, don't get that much attention and people are still, yeah. and you know, it's like, cool. I own a, an, another deed, right? Like I have a bet that you go, will do well, but like these two are not the same. Like they not fucking with what futureverse got going on. They, they yeah. got the attention. They got the, the cultural clout. Yeah. The, the but, hype's there for sure. But yeah. there's a lot under the surface in the futureverse. They've got some painted technology as well, proprietary tech as well. Mm-hmm. That I think um, they're doing an equity raise at the moment that's going to be announced in a few weeks with some big players involved. And um, so they're, they're, they're only going to grow further now because they've got a bunch of capital thrown their way to, to accelerate. But they've got certain, certain things that are like, you know, they're not just uh, patents that are applicable in Web3, they're applicable in Web2. So it's just like technology. the cookies that you have in your browsers, they have a decentralized version of that called a donut, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which will allow Web3 entities... <laughs> to, to help sort of track your state and make it seamless when you're going from a Web 2 app into a Web 3 app and help bridge divides there as well. So, I mean, the altered state machine itself, that's got a patent that's, uh, I think it's just about to go through, hasn't been contested, and that's for basically being able to have AI embedded into an NFT. And that's that's just going to be a whole new paradigm that gets, that gets built out on top of that, uh, especially for us JPEG holders, our NFTs. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us only have one sort of identity on Twitter with a PFP on it, but I bet everyone's got 50 different things in their wallets that are sitting idle. But what if you could put an ASM brain in that and get it to do things in the metaverse while you in your sleep and start mm-hmm. to earn you some yield, slowly get smarter over time? Um, you know, there's so much potential just in the ASM protocol. It's sort of mind-boggling. Yeah, and that's actually um, hopefully, hopefully, the plan is to have this video done and put it out this upcoming week, but I've been working on the script for it. That's something that I just really feel like people don't fully appreciate is like we can see the the clamoring that's going on for these AI applications, but nobody is talking about what is actually driving that to be possible and the fact that you can literally now own that. And so yeah. w- what I think is really uh, genius is that in the interim, because we've yet to really see the full-fledged functionality, we're probably like phase zero of ASM brains, right? We can't train them directly yet. We haven't been able to um, splice them uh, at all yet. But the the way that I'm trying to frame it for people is the same way that there was a point in time where all businesses were bespoke. They were one of one. But then we entered into this era of franchises where it was like, hey, now, you know, you can come in. We kind of have this 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 blueprint that you can take on. You can put your spin on it, but it's it's pretty much ready to go. And it's, it's something that you can turn into a business. The ability to basically own artificial intelligence franchises where you say, hey, I want this AI to be really proficient at this thing. I want this AI to be really good at this other thing over here. And then if you demonstrate your proficiency at it and people want to use that particular flavor of AI, you now then splice your brain off, sell them a piece of what you've already trained up to get it to that place. And now you're generating revenues by literally selling AI. Right. And I I feel very strongly that in this era we're going into, you have kids, I think about my son, the skill set, the 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 way to 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 create viable businesses is going to have to be very different to factor in that there are these algorithms that can do a lot of shit way better than you, way faster than you, way cheaper than you would be able to do it. And so that seems to me like the new oil is AI. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of scary how quickly it's evolved, to be honest. This is in the last six months. It's, it's just <laughs> ridiculous, really. I haven't even looked at this chat thing because I've seen it popping up on Twitter. I'm just like, I, I just I don't have the bandwidth to go down another rabbit hole here. It's yeah. and all the all the AI imagery stuff. Um, AI video they're getting into now. I saw an Adidas ad for the FIFA World Cup where they got uh, Leo Messi from every version of the World Cup that he's been in back from 2006, and he played a, a five-a-side game of football against himself. And they did that mm. all through through AI video. It's just madness how quickly this is evolving. Um, but there is a big risk in it that it ends up going the way of sort of Web 2 where you've got Google and Facebook and Amazon and they just own all of our data. And at the moment, everyone's so enthused about it. We're just feeding the beast with our data. Um, and it's getting that's why it's getting so smart so quickly. Um, so mm. I think the whole concept of being able to own it and monetize, you know, you're putting value back on yourself, on your own data. Uh, and that's, 
that could be game changing, especially for future generations, as you said. Like, who knows what the world will be like in 50 years when we have robots doing a lot of manual labor type stuff for us, driving us around everywhere, delivering all of our items. A lot of people are going to be out of a job. So where do they go to? It's going to have to be a digital existence and maybe training an AI or a digital twin to do certain things on your behalf is a good way to go about it. Yeah. And so um, we, we none of us can can predict exactly where it's going to go, but the fact that this is an option where it's like, okay, I could just buy a PFP that I know doesn't do shit but be a PFP, or I can get my hands on something that already is being shown its AI capabilities. And of course, some of this is going to connect back to the the AI, you know, protocols that we already see, whether it be a DALI, a GPT-3, whatever. But I think that fundamentally, it's also a bet that this whole ecosystem is going to be able to develop something proprietary. And then by owning one of these brains is effectively your partial ownership of whatever it is that gets built there. And all these yeah. things start to feed into each other and teach each other. And, um, yeah, that's one of the things that I'm particularly excited about in this ecosystem. And we saw with Thingies, it's it started with artwork. Um, so y'all can go look this up on OpenSea. Just look up Thingies and then the Thingies, all the art that they create are its own collection. But the natural you know, progression from that is, all right, where does the music come in? Where do the, uh, and they just talked about this on our spaces today, actual 3D structures. And, you know, we didn't even talk about Burroughs, which is the land uh, version. Yes, so this much. <laughs> There's so much. That's what uh, we, we were joking that, you know, how are we going to try to fit all this in, in a, into an hour? I think we're doing a pretty good job so far. But, um, yeah, it's just that the, there's so much meat at this and it's still so early. And, you know, I personally heard about Bitcoin when I was in high school, man, like 2012, 2013. Didn't have that much disposable income. But I just shrugged it off when I saw the article on Wired or Verge because I'm like, okay, internet money, there'll be a new article next week, you know, and no one to talk about this again. And it's only in that hindsight where you're like, damn, I mean, there was enough information if you really mm. did your homework, you know, to say, all right, I can, I can put a portion of something into this. And then as more data comes out, as more use cases come out, as it's more proven, you can kind of adjust your conviction on that scale. And I find it to be a, an exact parallel with what's going on with Futureverse. It's like, I saw the first NFT and I'm like, okay, that's cool. NFT. Oh, you can switch the background and there's music to it. Oh, that's neat. You know, I was like, I, I mean, it's a fucking rabbit, but that's cool. You know, <laughs> and then to really start to pull those layers back and see all the things that are being built. And then the other communities that are spinning off that aren't official partners with Futureverse, but are leveraging this ecosystem to create things. And um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I love the way that it's been done in, a, in an interoperable way intently. Like from day one, the whole idea is it's not trying to steal Bored Apes lunch. It wants Bored Apes to come over and party yeah. with us and clone X. Let's put a brain in all of them. Let's yeah. run around in the metaverse and make these things more than a 2D image. It'll still be culturally significant. It'd probably be more so because you can add your own identity to it. You can train this thing. You can do other cool things with it. So, I mean, the Web3 space is still just so small. I know it's a massive cliche, but it really is. It's still tiny. And half of us aren't ever talking to each other. <laughs> it's kind mm -hmm. of funny. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, a huge ecosystem that's a bit of a sleeping giant at the moment. But uh, 2023 is going to be a really big year, just as, as a lot of more, these other pieces that have been building for so long start to fall into place and people start to realize, oh, there's a whole ecosystem here underneath all of this. Yeah, yeah. And if I recall correctly, it is technically the year of the rabbit next year. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, what are the odds? You know, I, 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 I recognize the, the, the sacred science of numerology of astrology, those sort of things. And so I'm pretty sure a fella like Aaron, you know, the McDonough brothers, they're not, they're not dumb. You know, they're, they're aware of these things too. So I think that's going to work out in, uh, in, in the future versus favor. So we got about 15 minutes or so left. What is something you're most excited about that you think, you know, people need to know more about? Just want to let you, let you loose, man, and just, you know, do your thing and, and educate us on the future verse. Sure. I mean, uh, like I said, there's there's the root network that's launching soon. It's actually live, but not public yet. So if you're sort of just getting into this ecosystem, you're like, God damn, how do I get involved? You know, I need a really easy way to sort of get some exposure that's pretty low cost right now. It still has, in my uh, in my eyes, a lot of potential upside. Still, is those those Muhammad Ali next legend boxing characters because they're going to be the keys to be a basically a, a beta tester on the root network. They're incentivizing people to bridge across those assets from Ethereum 
and you'll earn some extra root tokens as as part of that process. I'm sure they'll gamify it as well. But that's a little bit of alpha for someone that's brand new to the ecosystem that you know doesn't have thousands and thousands of dollars to spend on a fluff, um, but wants exposure. Um, fluffs are still the, the apex asset in the ecosystem, basically. So that's, that's kind of the pinnacle. There is another collection that predates it uh, before non-fungible labs started called Pixel of the Apes. Yeah. Came out before the, the Board Ape Yacht Club. And they these things were done pixel by pixel, you know, hand sort of made pixel by pixel. And um, they almost look like they're done in sort of uh, Microsoft Paint, but, you know, but to a bit of a higher level than that. They're kind of that sort of voxel style. Mm-hmm. They're, the, they're the true OG asset. So if you want to come in and, and flex from day one, maybe get a <laughs> pixel of the ape. I haven't quite worked my way up that, that far up the chain yet, unfortunately. Um, also, just the thing is, they're, they're a pretty good price point right now, and you can use them straight away. There's a utility right there right now, and you can start generating some crazy AI art that you can mint into an NFT. So your NFT can create other NFTs. It's pretty cool. I'm pretty sure there's some gamification coming around all of that as well. Uh, as you said, there's the burrows, that's the 3D metaspaces. All of your assets are going to be able to hang in, and uh, you know they're going to gamify harvesting of root tokens in that environment. Mm-hmm. So if you have a burrow, your thingy can run around at night and harvest stuff. Um, your buzzy might generate an AI music track, and you'll get a push notification to the app on your phone. Hey, look what I made overnight, and it'll keep luring you back into that environment. So it's not not just a stale metaverse environment like a lot of the current ones out there are where there's just mm-hmm. nothing going on in there. There's no reason to go back and visit you know, the, the ghost towns mostly. So that's that's sort of the idea behind the burrows. Um, yeah, the seekers, those uh, little guys, like you said, they can be a node in the uh, the silo network. That'll be gamified and dropping after the root network, work, uh, root network launches early next year. So if you want to run a centralized node on your own hardware, or run it on a cloud service. That's something you could do. They're pretty low price points as well. But I could I could go on and on for hours here. There's, there really is just so much uh, to cover. And um, rather than make it too overwhelming, probably have a check out on my channel. There's a few yep. sort of higher level videos that go through that. There's several other good guys on Twitter with good threads. And the Discord is like so friendly and so accommodating. Uh, any questions in there, like the guys are just on it. Within seconds, it's a really welcoming environment and safe space for people to come and join the ecosystem, or even just to ask about it, to learn. You don't need to rush into anything. Uh, like the, like you said, I think there's 11 collections, and they're all of them basically sitting above the mint price, uh, which gives you an idea of the relative value. There's not many things that can say that in this current environment, but that shows you there's some real value there, and there's a lot of really strong holders because they're waiting for some of this extra utility that hasn't arrived yet to come out. So you're not too late to the party at all. In fact, you know, it's a, a really good buying opportunity, in my opinion, given the all-time high prices like you had in your video a few days ago with the ASM brain down 94% from high. That's maybe a decent entry. <laughs> <laughs> not financial advice, but right. um, you could do worse, I reckon. So, yeah. yeah. No, and um, I know there's kind of been like some some – you know, playful debate in the community about if fluffs are the real apex or if Gen 1 brains are really the apex. And um, I'm just, I'm excited to see where things shake out because I think there's an argument to be made that uh, maybe it's not one or the other, but that, hey, no. in this leg, it's fluff. And in this yeah. leg, it's 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 the brains and, um, yeah. and they're going at different things. But There's also yeah. a token with, with ASM too. So if you just want yes. a token and you just want to do some DeFi stuff, there's the ASTO, A-S-T-O token, mm-hmm. and you get some yield in what they call ASTO energy, the non-tradable tokens is all part of their GameFi type stuff. But by staking or providing liquidity into the USDC pair, you can earn ASTO energy and then start to mine and earn Gen 2 brains. And uh, there's going to be other utility that you can use it for, like the splicing of Gen 1 brains, other stuff coming down the line. And as you sort of, maybe we didn't clearly allude to, there's lots of games that are being built around that protocol. Mm-hmm. So the first one is that FIFA AI League that's coming out. Uh, after that, there's the, uh, what they call the AFIA, uh, AFIA All-Stars League, which is a, a sort of more fully-fledged version of the soccer game uh, or football, wherever you come from. Um, there's the Muhammad Ali Next Legends. So they own the IP rights or they have partnered with the, the company Authentic Brands Group, which is owned by Shaquille O'Neal, incidentally. And um, 
they've got a partnership with Muhammad Ali for that IP brand. So there's a, an AI 1v1 boxing game mm-hmm. around and that. If I could, if I could add. Like the a- Adam Car Club as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a whole bunch just around the ASM protocol. Yeah, and I found out, and I know we're just throwing information at y'all. Uh, we probably may need to do a, a part two, but I found out listening to another space that um, they actually also have a portfolio company that's an exercise company. And so when they show up that teaser of the AR um, training with the boxers, I'm almost certain that the next Legends is going to be a fitness game, like a move to earn game as well. Yeah. Uh, because they yeah, already have so one of those too. portfolio there's, there's companies. Also links to, sorry, there's also links to the Jadu AR team. Yep. So it might be imitation learning where you're boxing in front of an AR app on your camera and it's learning how you actually move and mm-hmm. you're training your brain with your own movements. So that that could be uh, you know incredible to see how that plays out. Yeah. So, I mean, if anyone remembers what happened with Steppen and that was literally, you know, like an NFT Ponzi of, hey, you got to buy this shoe and then boom, 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 buy this shoe, buy this shoe. Like if that was able to do that well, you know, and basically a crashing environment, the environment was beginning to crash. What if you actually took out the Ponzi-nomics from the equation, threw in some artificial intelligence, some some a different form of exercise? Um, anyhow, there is so much to pull out in this ecosystem. If y'all really want to, to, to go deep, Jerry has it all. Every single thing that we mentioned, he basically has a video that dives specifically into that one particular asset, that collection, and its utility, what it's connected to. So I highly, highly, highly encourage you to go to his channel. It's Futureverse Pod on YouTube, on Twitter as well, and just dig in. I'm going to be making some more content around some of this stuff, but as I said at the beginning, Jerry's the expert. There's some few people who are really good in this community, but Jerry is, is he, he makes it easy for you. He gives you a whole video. He gives you the visuals. He gives you the high level. He gives you the, the recaps. And, um, as I said, initially, man, you're doing a great service to this community. And, um, I'm excited to see where this is all at in a few years time, man. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. We should do this again sometime. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. Any, any last words, anything you want to let the people know before we get out of here? Uh, not really. Just uh, jump into that Discord. It's probably the friendliest Web3 community I've encountered. Uh, very open and inclusive. And uh, again, a real safe space, especially if you're new to Web3. Um, so everybody's welcome in there. And you'll uh, you'll find there's, there's plenty of friendly faces and people willing to help. Excellent. Well, as you say, my good friend, Bunny's up. He's up. Thanks, mate. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.